Greetings. You have reached Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. We are continuing our series in the New Testament book of Acts, and today we will be in chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. As we discussed last week, the book of Acts was written by a Gentile believer in Jesus Christ by the name of Luke. He is also the author of the book of Luke, as well as being a physician, missionary, and traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. The books of Luke and Acts were written to a man by the name of Theophilus for the purpose of giving a thorough account of the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, as well as providing an accurate account of the first 35 to 40 years of the history of the Christian Church. In verses 1 through 5, we discuss the topics of Christ's resurrection, the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit, Christ's teaching on the kingdom of God, and the meaning and purpose of the imparting of the Holy Spirit. We will now continue this account. I will begin reading with chapter 1, verse 4. And being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. We Here are the disciples coming to Jesus and asking him, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, this was not an unusual request because the Old Testament scriptures um, had proclaimed many times that the nation of Israel would eventually be established as a nation among nations, as, as, a, as a leading nation among the nations. In Isaiah 27, 6, it says, Those who come he shall cause to take root in Jacob. Israel shall blossom and bud and fill the face of the world with fruit. That's a poetic way of, of uh, speaking of that establishment, that kingdom to Israel. But it's a different kind of kingdom than what they were uh thinking about when they talked about the kingdom. They were looking for a political kingdom. They wanted the restoration of something they'd already known. They wanted, they wanted a kingdom that would overrule Rome, that had been a, a cruel oppressor of the nation of Israel for generations. They wanted to be free from that, that um, hold that had been placed over them. And their request also was um, an ethnically restricted kingdom. Uh, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel, meaning to us Jews? It was a geographic uh, restriction. Uh, kingdom, the kingdom seat would be Jerusalem, God's city. And, and all of this is, in, in some respects, uh, consistent with some of the Old Testament prophecies, but those prophecies speak of a time that is still yet to come, when Jesus will return 
and establish his kingdom on earth and, and sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem and rule over the nations of the earth as the king of kings and lord of lords. But this was a time when the kingdom of God would be established within the heart of man, where Jesus would be sitting as king of your heart. In John 18, when Jesus was standing before Pilate, just hours before his crucifixion, it reads this way, Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So what we see here, what Jesus had been speaking of for three and a half years about the kingdom of God, that kingdom must first be established in the hearts of man, where Jesus is our Lord as well as our Savior. And this kingdom is not just for Israel, but it's for all who would call upon the name of the Lord. It was a, it's a global kingdom. Uh, it is a kingdom that surpasses the boundaries of nations. Our account in Acts continues in verse 7, when Jesus said to his disciples, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. This is very significant. Uh, because there are uh, those who would want to put a time, a, a day, uh, a year on the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because with that return, when he will set foot on the Mount of Olives once again, that is uh, for a specific time that is still yet to come. And Jesus says here to his disciples uh, that it is the Father who establishes that day. In Mark 13, 32, Jesus said this, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Do not be deceived by anyone who would, no matter how famous they are, no matter how many books they've written, do not be deceived by those who would try to set a day and a year. Jesus says that the angels don't know, and even Jesus himself does not know that moment, that time, when the Father says, My son, go. Only the Father knows. That is his authority. That is his um responsibility. Our responsibility is to obey his commands. And what is his command? You shall be my witnesses. 
and we continue to obey and we continue to serve until Jesus comes. Also in verse 7, Jesus speaks about, and verse 8, Jesus speaks about the, um, the power that is going to be given to us so that we are empowered to obey his commands. Let me read it again. And Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This power, this word, power, in the Greek is dynamis. And it's, this, it's the root word that lies behind our English word dynamite. It is a powerful word. It is a powerful Holy Spirit that comes to us. It is an expo- explosive, life-changing, dynamic power that comes to all who... Uh, receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, for uh, Jesus has promised that that we are given the the promise of the Holy Spirit as a seal guaranteeing our inheritance until the day of Christ Jesus. It is a power that comes um, uh, with uh, the assurance of um, gifting so that we are empowered to do various works of ministry, to do teaching, to be a witness, to do whatever it is that Jesus has commanded us to do. You will notice in our passage that Jesus, when he spoke about the Holy Spirit, the coming of the Holy Spirit, that the direct result of that gift was not for miracles or signs or healings. But the purpose for the giving of the Holy Spirit was that we might be his witnesses to tell the world about Jesus, to reveal to the the world who God is. This miracle, signs, and healings become confirmations of that message. But Jesus said that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me. This is the power that is given to the church. This is the power that is given to the people. As it says in Zechariah 4, 6, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. In Ephesians 1, uh, Paul writes this, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. This power, this mighty power is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. I stress this because so often when we think about the concept of 
being his witnesses, of sharing the gospel message to people around us, we shrink back. We think, I don't know enough verses. I've not been walking with Jesus long enough. I don't know what to say. What if they would reject the message that I have to say? But Jesus said that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He has given you what you need to fulfill the call that he's placed upon you. He has given you the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in in John 14 that the Holy Spirit will help us to remember the things that Jesus has taught us. And as we read our Bible daily, as we meditate on it, as we memorize the word, then the Holy Spirit in that moment will draw from that rich resource that has been in you so that you are able to speak. I know of a person who was a new Christian, brand new, and he only knew two Bible verses. John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And Matthew 6.33, which says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And with the knowledge of just those two verses, for a week he shared uh, Jesus with a group of young people every day for five days. And at the end of that week, several people responded to the call and they asked Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. Why? Because it's not so much the messenger, it's the message. It's the Word of God. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that is at work within you. God calls us to be faithful, and He will do the work within the heart of man. Again in verse 8, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You know, this is not the first time that God called his people to be witnesses. Originally, that responsibility to be witnesses to the world about the true and living God was given to Israel. In Isaiah 43, verses 10 through 12, Scripture says this, You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there is no God formed, nor shall thou be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I have declared and saved, I have proclaimed, and there is no foreign God among you. Therefore you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. And again, in Isaiah 44, 8, God says to his nation Israel, Do not fear nor be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. However, 
Israel failed to obey this command. That nation became consumed with idolatry and wickedness, living in rebellion against God and refusing to repent. The Old Testament tells out that story very clearly, and it led to great suffering. So when Jesus came, he opened the door for that responsibility to be turned over to a new entity. That entity is known as the church, the body of Christ. They, the church, which includes you and me, if Jesus is your Lord, were commissioned to be God's witnesses to the world until the day that Jesus returns to earth. This is the task, and this is the calling. But on that day, when Jesus stood before his disciples, these men were also to bear witness to the to, they were eyewitnesses to the living Jesus. They, they had been with him. They had heard his voice. They had touched him. They saw him die. They are now seeing him alive. And soon they will bear witness to his ascension into heaven. This is true. They were, they were witnesses to the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we spoke about it last week, resurrection is vital. Because if Jesus did not rise from the dead, that means that what he said was a lie. And he is dead, and therefore we are dead in our sins and transgressions. But Jesus is alive. Jesus did rise from the dead just as he said he would. And the, the resurrection was, uh, the payment was complete, the payment for our sin. Now this breakdown, this geographical breakdown of where they were to be witnesses actually becomes a perfect outline for the book of Acts. In Acts chapters 1 through 7, the preaching of the gospel was in Jerusalem. And then in Acts 8 through 12, the message of the gospel began to expand into the regions of Judea and Samaria. And then in Acts 13 through chapter 28, that expansion of the gospel was spread throughout the, the known world, the Roman Empire. And so we see here uh, for them that, uh, that the... Uh, the outward movement of the sharing of the gospel. And we know that that has continued on from generation to generation to our day. But the same principle applies to us today. Where do we start? We start with the people who are around us. And then as God uh, works in our life, in our ministry, he'll send us out further and further until uh, we reach people that we would never thought we would be speaking to. So let's uh, just uh, ask this question again. You know, what was the intended purpose for this power? What was the intended pr purpose for this witnessing? Is to tell them, to tell the world, to tell the people, to tell 
their family and their neighbors and their friends about Jesus, to tell how he lived and died and rose from the dead, to tell their personal experience with Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. How vitally important it is then to tell them about the one who died for their sins and rose for their justification. What is your testimony? What is your witness? In Peter's second book, second letter, he gives an interesting witness. In chapter 1, verses 16 through 19, he writes this, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received power, for he received from God the Father honor and glory, which when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Peter here is talking about that day when he and James and John were on the top of the mountain with Jesus, and Jesus was transfigured before him. For just a moment, they saw his glory revealed, and it was so glorious and so bright and shining that they could not even bear to look upon him. They were eyewitnesses to his glory. But if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you have a story. Because when Jesus touches our lives, nothing is ever the same again. And as Jesus continues to, to uh, walk with us day by day, growing our faith, growing our love, there is a story there that can be told and a ministry there that can be done. As we, as we tell the people about Jesus, we tell this, his story, but we also tell his story in our life. This message, this gospel message, what exactly is it? Let me just run through a few verses just to give you an example, but it's more than an example because it's truth. The truth is, as Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's you, that's me, all have sinned. God is holy and we are not. And if we are honest with ourselves, we know that to be fact. And so sinfulness, sinful man cannot stand before a holy God. What are we to do? It says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And so 
the wage that we have earned for our own sin is death. But you see, that's the beauty of the gospel. Because Jesus came and died our death on our behalf and gave to us in exchange life eternal. Again, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again in Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, we cannot earn our salvation. There's no way we can be good enough because we start off as sinful people. But God loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son. And that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John Newton, the writer of the famous song, Amazing Grace, said on his deathbed, I am a very great sinner, and I have a very great Savior. Someone once said that there is no sin so great that God's love is not greater still. So what do we do? Scripture tells us. It says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is the promise of God. Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? Then live for him. Tell others about him. Continue to grow in your faith. But if Jesus is not, then consider. Call upon him. Ask him to reveal himself to you. Ask him to forgive you of your sin. Ask him to be your Savior and your Lord. If you ask, he will say, Yes, I forgive you. I love you. I am your Savior. Heavenly Father, I just pray, Lord, that these words, your scripture, O oh God, will touch the hearts of your people to increase their faith and to bring the gift of salvation to those who have not yet cried out to Jesus, who loves them so much. Lord Jesus, do a mighty work in our hearts and our lives, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen. So until next time, my dear friend, God bless you.